The Florida Football Insiders Podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's here in Tampa, located at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue, as well as Home Slice Pizza Company and Hank's Barbecue. Enjoy the podcast. A look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. Welcome into our bowl edition, college football playoff edition of the Florida Football Insiders. We are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. want to thank uh, this podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's Home Slice Pizza, Pizza and Hank's Barbecue here in the Tampa Bay area. Beefo Brady's is located at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Again, want to thank uh, our sponsors for being involved with us all throughout the college football season as we ra- are wrapping up the college 2022 college football season. We are in the thralls of bowl season new year's day coming up on sunday still gonna have you got your college football playoff semifinal matchups coming up on saturday night new year's eve you got your national championship game will be monday january the 9th you get they get about a 10 day nine day break at between the semifinals and the finals got georgia and ohio state will be playing in atlanta and then you have Michigan and TCU will be playing out in Glendale, Arizona. So uh, two semifinal matchups Saturday afternoon starting at 4 p.m. We are going to give you a preview of those two games. We're going to talk. We got a couple. We got, we got some three excellent guests for you this week. We're going to also talk recruiting signing days. Just the the early signing day in December is just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to get a little update on the recruiting classes at UCF, Florida State, as well as USF. We're going to talk to Joey Johnston, who covers the sideline reporter and a longtime media member here in the Tampa area. We're going to talk to uh, Joey about the new hire, Alex Galesh, the new head coach at USF, and their signing day. We're going to talk to Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel. Matt covers UCF and FSU. We're going to hit on the uh, signing dates for both of those schools, the transfer portal, and Florida State's upcoming bowl game on Thursday versus Oklahoma, which is going to be in Orlando as well. And then we're obviously we're going to lead off this podcast talking to Coach Jim Levitt. Coach, we're going to talk to Coach about recruiting, signing day, bowl preparations, um, you know, all the different things that go into preparing for a bowl game, whether you're playing for a national title whether you're playing for a bowl game, uh, you know, the dealing with the transfer portal, recruiting, all the things that go into this uh, process that these coaches are all going through uh, here in the month of December and early January. So action-packed episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Again, we're trying to hit all parts of the state of Florida. Again, we're part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. If you haven't already done so, hit subscribe on your podcast platform and you'll subscribe to this podcast. I also host the Powers on Sports podcast as well as the No Quarter Given podcast. If you are a Tampa Bay Buccaneers football fan, we talk No Quarter Given, all bucks. If you're a sports fan in general, sports media, we talk uh, all things sports on the Powers on Sports podcast. So, again, appreciate you finding us. Twitter handles at JPO Sports. If you have any comments, love to hear from you. And again, uh, you're going to enjoy the podcast. Jim Levitt, former head coach, University of South Florida. 
Joey Johnston, media member here in the Tampa Bay area, and Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel breaking down recruiting in the bowl season in the college football playoffs. So enjoy the podcast, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Coach Jim Levitt. College football fans, we know that the season is winding down. Bowl games are in the near future as well as the college football playoff, and we know you're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices. Take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Ticket Smarter is partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner with the best selection of college football tickets. Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. Purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with Ticket Smarter's mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. In addition, we've got an additional offer for you for those of you that are listening as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Take 5% off of your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off of your order of $100 or more, and that code isn't just for a one-time use. You can use it as many times as you'd like during the college football season to see the biggest games left to be played. Check out the selections, pricing now with Ticket Smarter, and remember our code, Gridiron22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. All right, welcome back, Florida Football Insiders Podcast. We're happy to be joined again by Coach Jim Levitt. Uh, Coach Levitt, Merry Christmas. Hope you had a good holiday with your girls. Merry Christmas. Yes, it was um, busy. You know, Christmas is a huge holiday. You know, Christ is born. A uh, very powerful day. And uh, then uh, then the gifts. And the gifts seem to take precedent over everything. And uh, that's a big deal. Uh, that's for sure. With, with my girls, it's a big deal. Talk about, talk about during the holidays when you were a coach, both in the NFL and college, how did you work around – you know, just the holidays. And I'm sure in the NFL you had you, – you didn't probably play on Christmas, but you had practice up until Christmas Eve, things like that. How did you handle just the personal life things of shopping a little bit, you know, getting some stuff for your girls and for your family and just those kind of things, balancing that with still your coaching responsibilities? No, uh, it's very difficult for all coaches. And it's one of the things that is kind of sad. Uh, Thanksgiving, I never saw Thanksgiving, you know, really, because you're, you're always playing or you're so involved with game planning usually have that day you might eat a meal yep see your family for a few hours but that's it and uh, especially the last number of years when I was gone you know that that time was tough uh Christmas same way because usually bowl games right or you're traveling like last year I was at SMU uh we were set to travel uh the day after Christmas to go to Boston well we found out on the 26th that uh, Virginia was not going to play in the bowl game because of COVID. So that completely canceled the bowl. Uh, I was in a car that day. I packed up everything in Dallas and drove to Tampa. Wow. So, you know, really missed Christmas last year. So it's uh, it's very difficult for coaches, very difficult for families, all that. A lot of times you like to incorporate that into the bowl game. And if you have an understanding family and understanding wife, then it works. If you don't, then it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. 
for the kids, when you guys are in bowl season this time of the year, do you give the kids a couple of days off before Christmas? Let's say you have a bowl game in New Year's. Obviously, most teams probably meet a day or two after Christmas to to get back prepping for the New Year's bowl game. Do you give them a couple days off? And is it their responsibility to get to the bowl game? Do they get a per diem? Or do you guys all meet back in your central campus and travel together? I always have everybody traveling together because I was concerned about something happening. Right. Uh, Either, uh, you know, you just don't know. When you have everybody traveling on their own, uh, are they going to get there on time? Are they going to be there? Is something going to happen? Is right. uh, you you worry about a lot of different things. So I always went on the side of safety. Now the problem with that is, in recruiting other coaches, will use that against you because other coaches in bowl games, they'll let their own they'll they'll let everybody travel to the site and meet there because they can make a lot more money because they can get their own flights. Uh, it's it's just you know, it just, um, it's a balancing, you know, it's it's a balancing act. act. Yeah, it's so, a balancing act. Yep. Yeah, it just depends on if you want to give more money to the players and more autonomy as far as getting there or not. I don't know what most coaches do now. I would imagine a lot of them, uh, maybe it's split, you know, depending on the bowl game and where it's at. All right. Let's talk about recruiting. You mentioned recruiting. Obviously, the first, the signing day was a couple, uh, a week or so back. Um, interesting, a couple weeks back. Interesting now, the NCAA is in the last several years, they've created two signing days, an early signing day in December and then the traditional one in February. How did that, how did you like, do you like that concept now of having two different days or were you would you prefer to all be done one day? That way you can spend all your time and then you can move on to the next thing as being a coach. Well, I'm, I'm kind of old school. So, you know, I always like the one signing date and that's it. However, and the one nice thing about the early signing days, you get a lot of things out of the way. A lot of these players, are, they know where they're going to go. You know, you, you don't want to waste any more time on the phone, traveling, going to see kids if they're if you're not going to get them. Right. And sometimes these players can kind of keep you, you know, on the hook a little bit and cause you to spend a lot of time with those guys that are the number one or two or three people on your board and you're losing ground with number four or five or six on your board. You know, so the one thing it does, it cleans up your board. It allows people to make decisions where they're going to go. And it has, has the, now you have the ability to kind of regroup a little bit. You know, have you met your needs? Uh, what, what has changed? Who did you get? And, you know, your staff can kind of come back together and, and really focus in on those five or six guys you have to get. Now those guys are getting really hit because all the schools are in the same position and so now they're gonna they're gonna really go after this those, those some of those guys when they wait for that second signing period get hammered so hard uh because every because everything else all the dust is cleared right and they all going after you hard so but it cleans it up yeah there was one there was a couple you know obviously you hear stories on recruiting every year but there was one high profile kid this year that had committed to Notre Dame, then he could, then he committed to Oregon, then he ended up at Oklahoma, all within a 24-hour period on signing day. How frustrating for you as a coach, or exciting for you if you're the recipient of that kid, or if you're the kid that you're the school that loses a kid like that that has told you for three months or two months, hey, I'm coming to your school, I'm coming to play for you. Then he changes his mind at the last minute, or you're the beneficiary of it, a kid you've been working hard, and all of a sudden he flips to you. 
Uh, it, it's it's really stressful. Uh, you know, you've worked on some of these guys for years, not months. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you bring somebody to the table, they've committed to you, you're, you're all set, and then you lose them. That's tough, you know, and, and emotionally it's tough because you gain, you gain such a relationship. Right. Not only him, but his family, his friends, all his teachers at the school, the principal, everybody. You know, you right. to get a high profile athlete, you've got to, you got to, you got to cover all your bases. Time. Yep. You know, the uncle that might be two states away. Right. You know, who is that? Who is that person that's really helping that player with the decision? And you got to find out who they are and make sure you get close to them. So it's hard, really hard. Um, Obviously, if you flip somebody to you, it's great. But you know, in the end, uh, you work your tail off. Uh, you try to stay away from the emotion of it all. And you you realize that you're not going to know how good these guys are for a year anyway. year, but sometimes two years. Right. And really, if coaches are honest and these services ask you how your class looked this year, well, every coach in the country is going to say, yeah. right. We got everybody we wanted. Yeah. We're, we're going to be great. And obviously half the schools in the country are not. Half are or yep. either way. So you don't really know because there's so many variables with these players. Adversity that hits these guys in college from different angles that they've never experienced before. Right. And you don't know who's going to be able to handle the adversity. So it's not all about the athletic talent. It's about the character of a young man, his heart how he's driven, uh, how well he gravitates and grabs the investment of time. Living, on his, own, living on his own in a dorm with other people and not sure. his family around and all that stuff. Especially your freshman year, because your most university is going to make you live on campus. And sometimes those dorms are not very nice or right. they're okay. And you're coming from home where, you, you know, who knows what the home life is like, sometimes good or sometimes bad. Uh, you know, usually you give through that freshman year, you got better chance, but now you got the portal. Yep. So now all of a sudden you don't play, you're gone. So it's there's so many so many factors that enter into a recruiting class and whether it's gonna be a successful one or not. Seems like in the last probably you you tell me you you know this better than I do, that you know, years ago when I was playing, when you were playing, there was kind of an unwritten rule with coach when Jim Levitt, the safety committed to somewhere. Coach is kind of hands off. He's going to that school. Nowadays, is there any kind of unwritten rule among you coaches about when a guy formally says, I'm going to South Florida or I'm going to Florida or Texas or Oklahoma, that other coaches kind of hands off of them unless unless the kid opens the door and says, I'm going to reopen my recruitment, or is that just completely out the window? Completely out the window. You know, I mean, it's, it's evil. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's – you know, what I usually tell, I usually prep a guy that commits to us and say, now you're going to get hit by a lot of coaches. The most important thing you can do is have your mom or dad, whoever is, you know, running the show, make sure that they're the ones that talk to these other coaches. Right. Tell them they appreciate them. They appreciate the interest. But Johnny has made his decision. He's going to so-and-so. And, -so and uh, appreciate if you don't call anymore. Okay. Now that's a, if you can get a parent to do that, which you should be able to, then that goes a long ways. Now, is that going to stop schools? No, because they're going to go work the coach, or they're going to work. If the dad's making that comment, they're going to work the mom, or the uncle, or they're going to work the aunt, 
they're going to work somebody else because what do they care? They're going to they're going to they're going to be relentless in getting this this player. So that family's got to be on board together. They got to be strong, and that player's got to be strong and know what they want, or things happen, and it happens all the time. All right, that's great. That's a great answer because, you, like you said, it, it goes on. You know, I'm sure it's even worse now with NIL money and all that stuff and the ease, the ease of the transfer portal and things like that. So, all right, let's go to the, some bowl prep, a couple bowl prep questions. How do you as a coach when you're, you know, th- there's varying levels. You always hear analysts and people on TV talking about the excitement level of a team going into a bowl game, a team that's maybe 6-6 six and six versus a team that's had an unbelievable year. They're 9-3, and 10-2. and two. When the the emotional level and the motivation level. How did you always handle the motivation level of of a team that you were coaching? Maybe you didn't have as good a year as you thought, and you but you're still in a bowl game, or maybe you overachieved and now you're in a bowl game. How do you handle that motivation level to keep the motivation level up? Uh, it's very difficult now, and very difficult because most of these bowl games, like I think Baylor played Air Force, and Baylor had a lot of players that didn't even play. Right. You have all these top players, seniors, juniors, that are going out in the draft, and they're going to play in the bowl game. So it's really not the team that played that year. <laughs> you have to try to play the guys that are probably the most ambitious or really want to play, might be younger guys. The, the bowl practices are, are really, really important um, for development of players. Uh, you try to have as much energy as you can in that bowl game. Because if you don't have the energy, you're not going to have probably have a chance to win. Um, I, I mean, I just it's um it's just so different today. You know, it really is. And everybody seems to focus on the last four teams that are playing, and, and maybe some of these other bowl games. Yeah, you know, I haven't watched a lot of bowl games this year. Yeah, who's a, playing? You don't know who's playing. It's just, it's just very, very difficult. But play the guys that you feel like want to play, even if it's a younger guy. Try to try to find the, the, the. You really have to get your players excited about playing. Try to drive home the fact that you're playing them for the seniors that are playing, the seniors that are going. Yeah. And you them, you know, you've got to find a, a way for cause. You've got to develop a cause for that bowl game, one way or another. That's a really, really important thing to do. So the experience for the kids, some of these kids have maybe either never been to a bowl game and two, they've never, never really traveled much. These bowl games, the cool thing is you get to go to different places, whether it's California, Texas, Florida, wherever. Fenway Park, you talked about Yankee Stadium. How do you balance the we want to work hard and get ready for this bowl game, but also understand it's an experience for the kids to travel, to enjoy a new, a new environment, a new – all these bowl games have events where they go – to a you know have an event a couple nights during the prep, how do you allow them to enjoy that experience, but yet keep their mind focused on the on the task at hand? Well, that's difficult too. You know, it depends on the motivation of players certainly. But my point is this: a lot of bowl games now, because of money or travel or whatever, they don't do as many things. Okay, I've been to a bunch of bowls through my career. Way back when you go to a bowl game, you went a lot earlier. You spent a lot of time there. In your first two days, you might not even have a curfew for the players. You go to the beach, like down here, they would take kids to the beach, Clearwater Beach, Bush Gardens, things like that. You know, but you might let them go to kind of just 
you know, enjoy that experience and you tell them if they mess up, you're going to send them home on the next bus, uh, <laughs> you know, so because you don't want to embarrass your program, you don't want to embarrass the school and, and uh, you've got to make sure you set a precedent with your players that, you know, you just, you better understand, you better, you know, and you're always going to worry about three or four guys. They're going to keep you up all night, you know, think <laughs> about it. That guy going to do the right thing. Right. Uh, some are going to, going to be good. Um, and then you, and then you, and you tell them ahead of time, you know, the schedule, kind of what's going to go on, how you're going about this and why each day is important and what you're going to try to get done each day. You try to make sure you get all your preparation done before you leave for the bowl site. Okay. Your game plans for your defense coordinator, offense coordinator should be done, established. They should be able to play the game before you even get on a plane to go to the bowl. And then, you know, try to wrap things up as you go because you know the distractions are going to be there. So I always, you always watch bowl games too, where it, unless it's for the national title or a, you know, humongous bowl, one of these humongous bowl games, coaches are are always very loosey goosey in their coaching, trick plays, new things. You know, they 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 empty out the playbook, as so to speak. Did you always have that mentality of, hey, we're going to be loosey goosey in these bowl games? I'm going to go for it on fourth down more often, things like that, as opposed to a little more close to the vest during the regular season. You know, I don't know, you know, as a head coach, I, I went to five bowl games. And, I, you know, I, I we always had the trick plays. I remember when we played against Holtz, at, at our first bowl win at East Carolina, Papa John's Bowl. Yeah, we had all kinds of trick stuff we were doing with our punt team. And we were beating them pretty good. Uh, and uh, and I went ahead and did some of the stuff at the end of the game just to kind of – because I was curious how they were going to respond. So I kind of did it. It was kind of probably – Probably, you know, I don't know how ethical it necessarily is. I don't know. I guess it's okay. But I did all kinds of things with that punt team just to sign <laughs> up to it. Oh, because we had so many fake punts that we had put in, uh, you know, two or three things. And uh, you, I, used that's them all. you used them all that day. You used them all. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you always want to have some things that you, you want to do some things different because, you know, the team you're going to play is going to have all that time and, the GAs, everybody else is going to be looking at every piece of film. Yeah. You know, you have your base core, what you're going to do, but you always want to do some things different. Now let's get to the to the two bowl games that do matter, ultimately, the, the two semifinal games and how the difference in prep might be different than if you're in the Outback Bowl or the ReliQuest Bowl or the Military Bowl. That's really just an ex, I won't say an exhibition game, but it's, there's no national championship implications. These two bowl but, games. I said that, Jason. Huh? And that's what think is so sad okay. when i grew up coaching of course i've been in it 40 years yep they never had the playoffs right. every game was so, was so significant right i know people will beat me up for this but i enjoyed that and then you had to name a national champion off just whatever right and there was always the debate or the controversy whatever but i didn't mind it you know i never was in that well, we were in that position at Kansas State one time. We were, we were finished eighth, so we we're close. Um, but you know, now it's yeah. All these other bowl games are bowl games. They're you know how many how, you know how much do people pay attention to them? How much do people really watch them? Because everything is on the last four teams. 
So I think I would say that, and I would say this, as you know, New Year's Day is kind of the traditional bigger bowl. You know, you got the Rose Bowl, you got the Citrus Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. Those are the games that I think more fans, even though they don't have national championship implications, are still paying attention to. And, you know, the pageantry of the Rose Bowl, the pageantry of, 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 you know, the the Rose Bowl out in California. Those are just historical things where even though you're not playing for a title, you still want to show out well as a program, correct? Right. You know, you really do. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, people are going to watch those games, but, um, you know, things have just changed a little bit. How does your preparation, like you said, now it's the seriousness of the, of the semifinal games, Georgia, Ohio state, Mich- uh, Michigan, TCU coaching wise, you've had a month off one, one, are you worried about your, your players physical conditioning, having that much time off of not playing and then you had the holidays mixed in with Christmas. How do you handle the, just the physical part of getting them back physically ready? Well, it's, um, you know, I haven't been in that situation. I have coached in a bowl game on January 7th or January 9th. Okay. But that's the only thing I kind of go by. Okay. And, you know, you do have to give you, you have to know when that bowl game is and how many days that you think you'll need to prepare them. And you're right. They, you do want to, you got to make sure you, you get them in back in shape and, you know, get, the weight room is really big. You know, the conditioning is really big. All those things are important. And yet you, when you have a, when you have these games so, so far pushed back, you have to give them some time, the finals and time and with their family and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't prepared for a national championship. I haven't been in that scenario, but the only thing I can go by is when we played in Toronto, Playing against Northern Illinois, Jerry Kill's team, we, we we won the game. We won it pretty big. Yeah, and um, that was my last game. I coached in South Florida, and uh, you know we we played well, played really well. So, and so, uh, so let me let me give you something that may be comparable on the pro level. Pro level, you have a bye week in the playoffs or two weeks between the championship and the Super Bowl. Would that be a time where you would potentially put in a new scheme defensively or a new scheme on special teams that you haven't shown all year? Or you just or is the mentality of let's be really good at what we're really good at? Well, you know the difference uh, with the NFL is you're playing all the way through it. You know, you're not gonna have five weeks off or till you play a game. Right. You know, I mean, I was involved three years in a row, three NFC championship games in the Super Bowl. We were playing twenty four games, twenty three games. You know, and you just play right through it. Yes, um, we did do some things defensively. I know we had some things in there that were different, different pressure package, different things like that. You know that that we were that we had, but you know you you've got your personality that got you there after twenty some games, right? Kind of who you are, and you don't want to screw yourself up. You know your own players, even those those men at the pro level. I mean. You know, we, we, I coached in the Super Bowl against uh, the Ravens and um, came down last play of the game. Yeah. Um, pretty much. Still and, no, still no flag, coach. Still no interference called the uh, end zone. Yeah. That was, they called <laughs> that pass interference, but on Michael Crabb. <laughs> but there were two games before that came down last play just to go to the right. Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, no, we, we, you know, you, you keep your base stuff, and but you're always going to have some different things, both offensively and defensively. Of course, we had, we had Kaepernick, our quarterback, 
So we ran a little bit more of the option, I know, offensively yep. than we had shown before going through the playoffs, especially yep. the year we played in the Super Bowl. And he was so good, you know, at the option game because he could run. Uh, so that, I know, helped our offense and and uh, made, it, made it challenging for defense. Of course, Ravens handled it fairly well, although they should have lost game if we would have got that call. <laughs> Coach, I'd love to see you with that big Super Bowl ring on your finger right now. I really would. Yeah, that'd been nice. All right, let's let's get to the the games. A couple couple matchups in the games. I want to get your thoughts on. Let's go to Georgia and Ohio State first. To me, one of the one of the factors in this game is one Kirby Smart's pressure on defense. You're a defensive guy. Kirby's a defensive guy. It'll be interesting to see how they play this Ohio State high flying offense. Will they blitz them? Will they play coverage? How do you think, you know, what do you think Georgia's kind of philosophy is going to be going up against Ryan Day and that high-flying offense? You know, it's interesting because these are the two teams that were the hottest teams throughout most all the year. Ohio State kind of stumbled at the end the last number of games, but these are the two teams that everybody thought was going to be in a national championship game. A lot of people thought that. Yep. The way it was going through the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I still believe it's going to be whoever can run the ball. Okay. I think it's going to be a big deal. I know they both can throw it too. You, these teams all can run and throw, but uh, I think the physicality of the line of scrimmage and, the, and be able to run the ball is going to be a big deal. Ohio State, I think, will maybe will throw it a little bit better, and and they might. Uh, you know, it's going to be a heck of a game. I'm telling you, I I don't know. Who, I think Ohio State's got to get back to what they were at the beginning of the year when they were really humming along. Yeah, and whatever that is, and they've got to kind of analyze what happened to them towards the last three weeks or so, and then get that back. You know that this could be one heck of a game because uh, if they can play like they were early in the season, this game would be a heck of a game. But if not, Georgia's going to going to get them. You know, the, to to me, the matchup to look for, I think, for for Georgia's offense and Ohio State's defense is how does Ohio State match up with Georgia's tight ends? They've got a tremendous set of tight ends that can run, that can catch, that are going to be effective in the run game for them, for Georgia in the run game. How is Ohio State going to deal with the, that physicality and the talent at tight end? Because you don't see a lot of college teams that have good tight ends. You know, it's, it's coming around a lot more the last three or four years, though. I see it a lot more. Okay. Iowa State used a bunch. Um, I know a number, of, a number of teams started using those tight ends quite a bit more because it's hard. It's hard for defense. You know, just because the ability to run or throw, uh, and you just you have you, there's a lot of things you can do with those athletic big tight ends. Yep, oh, flexing them out, put them into the core, uh, all the wings and the uh, three tight ends, two tight ends. There's a lot of things you can do with it. And I and I know defensively when I go against a team that use those tight ends a lot, like University of Washington did, right? When I was at uh, uh, Colorado. Um, really tough to defend, really tough, you know. And um, uh, so I agree with you. That's going to be a challenge for Ohio State. All right, let's get to let's get to Michigan and TCU. I know you know the Michigan program well with your 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 ties to Coach Harbaugh. Do you think this is going to be a game for Michigan where they just really try to pound the ball down TCU's throat and see can you stop us? Yeah, I do. I I, I think if Michigan can't run the ball, TCU will probably win. Uh, TCU is so explosive with their receivers and the deep ball, uh, but they'll run it too. They'll spread you out, and you know when you when you when they're gonna they're gonna throw their shots. You know, they're, they're, you're gonna get six to eight shots 
uh, by TCU. And Michigan's going to have to hold up with that, with the explosive plays. But I think it's going to come down again to Michigan be able to run the ball. If they can run the ball and have success with that, they'll do some play action there a little bit with a quarterback. And uh, But they can run the ball, I think they'll win. But, boy, if somehow uh, – and, and the thing is, TCU runs that 3-3 defense, which can be very tough on an offense that spreads it out and – you know, because you don't know where that safety is going to fit in a run game. But West Virginia used to run that 3-3 defense. We beat West Virginia 3 out of 4. We should have been 4 out of 4. Right. And the way we did it offensively, if we got into the I formation, we really ran right at it. Because by the time that safety came down, we felt like we could get 4 or 5 yards. Right. And just moving the chains. And uh, I think the way you go against the defense from TCU is you got to be able to run the ball. You know, you know? and that's well, it'll be interesting to watch the def- – I think the defense for TCU against the run game, Michigan's going to be the, going to be it right there. It's going to be interesting to watch that. I agree. I agree. Well, Coach, great analysis. Glad you had a uh, great Christmas with the girls. And I know you'll be, you'll be watching as these NFL – at the NFL teams get get to get to the uh, to the finish line here for the playoffs, bowl games. you got the national championship games on – or the playoff semifinal games on Saturday – any big New Year's Eve plans? Are you are you a stay at home fireworks watch the fireworks kind of guy on New Year's when you had a chance to do that? No, I can I can I can do it all. <laughs> I can go out and I can celebrate with the best of them, or <laughs> or I can sit home. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I know you probably, got a great. Stay- you'll have a great view from where you're at to see some fireworks in downtown. They do a good job uh, down by where you're at and all that. So, Coach, appreciate the time. We'll definitely we'll – tr- we may try to get you on next week, previewing the championship game and all that stuff if you'll do that. And uh, if not, we will uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, Coach? All right. Thanks, Jason. Have a great week. We'll be right back with Matt – or with Joey Johnston talking about USF recruiting. Hey, guys and girls, with the college football season getting to the holidays here in November and December – you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. Go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and here in the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as well as the Powers on Sports Podcast. You'll receive 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, you'll get an additional $125 to play with. $200, you'll get $250 to play with, and so on and so forth. BetUS also has all the NFL, World Cup, NHL, NBA, and even college basketball that's about to tip off here in the holiday season, as well as almost any other sport you can think of. But we all know you are college football fans at heart as well as NFL fans. And we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check them out at BetUS.com. And remember, 125% matching bonus for all initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, and you get paid. All right, welcome back, Florida Football Insiders. Up next is Joey Johnston. Joey covers USF football is a sideline reporter for the Bulls. He's also a longtime media member here in the Tampa Bay area. Joey Johnson communications.com is where you can find Joey. If you're looking for some uh, help in the sports media world, 
Merry Christmas, Joey. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas, Jason. Happy holidays to everybody. Looking forward to a little football around the New Year's uh, time. Uh, always a fun time of the year. All right, so we've got a new coach at USF. Uh, Jeff Scott let go. Alex Golesh, the uh, offensive coordinator at Tennessee, comes in. There's a lot of speculation and some other names, potentially Deion Sanders and some other people. The USF uh, gets their guy in Alex Golesh. I know you were you you covered his uh, introductory press conference, and I'm sure you've talked to him a little bit. Give me just your initial thoughts of coach, and uh, how do you think the fit's going to be here in uh, at USF? I think the fit's going to be pretty good. I mean, again, it's 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 early on, and, and we're talking about you know a press conference and 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 just you know, five or 10 minutes here or there, shaking hands and saying, how you doing? But um, he certainly appears to be a guy that's very sincere, that heart works very hard and uh, values that over anything, over any flash and dash, over any kind of, you know, uh, anything like that. He's going he's gonna to get in his bunker and work and try to find players. That's, you know, he makes no mistake about that. That's his, his, his first mission is to uh, increase the talent here. And I, I couldn't agree more because it all starts with players. And to me, he appears to be a guy that, you know, if you look back at what, what made USF really good back in the day, it was, it was hard work. It wasn't anything beyond that at all. I mean, this is a program built from the ground up uh, that built itself into a, into a, a, a great program. And I think He's going to take that example and, and, and run with it. Um, he's not a real, he's a, he's a personable guy, but he's not a real flashy guy, but uh, he comes across as somebody you can have a genuine conversation with. And I, I, I think that's what the kids are going to get from him too, is, is a guy that, uh, that they can look at, look in the eye and, and feel like he's not giving them a line and feel like he sincerely cares about him and is, is, is speaking from the heart. And I know he, um, he believes, as do I, as do most people, that this program at USF should be uh, much better than it is. It should be uh, a, certainly an annual bowl contender, uh, certainly a, a program that wins conference championships, and maybe uh, if the right stars align, could, could, could go even bigger than that one day. And I couldn't agree more, and I think he sees that. He understands that there's a lot of work to get there. And, and he, will he will tell anybody that, I think, he, that, that wants to pat him on the back and say, hey, great great job coach really looking forward to next year he's going to say hey we got a lot of work to do and and that is uh, absolutely true so he is uh you know wasting no time he's starting to dig in dig in right now and and uh he sees uh no other route than a straight line with hard work to get to the goal do you um obviously one of the concerns obviously with this hire is you're hiring a guy who's never been a head coach before you know, he's, you know he's, he was kind of in the shadows of Josh Heupel. You know, who knows how much truly he does or he was involved in the, in the offense at Tennessee or not. I'm sure he was, but, you know, he didn't call plays at Tennessee. Josh Heupel called plays for the most part from all indications. Do you worry about lack of head coaching experience? And then two, where he's kind of been the primary play caller on one side of the ball or the other. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a legitimate question and, and, a, and a question we nobody's going to be able to answer until September, October, November, uh, at which, you know, actually I'm good with I'm good with the philosophy of, hey, great. Welcome, coach. Happy to have you here. We'll see you on September 2nd. I mean, uh, I'm 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 really happy with bypassing all the interim 
you know, stages of, of signing day and spring football. It, it, Summer it workouts, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is what it is. Those are all necessary things. But, but the bottom line of all bottom lines here is can they win games? Can they progress on the field? Um, so, yes, um, obviously. Uh, and we won't know the answer until he coaches games. But, yeah, he, he has no head coaching experience. And that was, that was a legitimate gripe on Jeff Scott. Now, everybody has to become a head coach for the first time at some point. Right. So the hope is that he is one of those guys, like a Bob Stoops, like, uh, you know, any number of other examples that steps in and from the get-go is a great head coach. So, uh, you know, that's what athletic directors are here for, is to judge uh, hirings. And potential. To, potential, and to identify these people. That's why, that's why they're in these jobs. Uh, so, uh, I, I do know that Alex Golish, had he not landed at USF, he would have landed somewhere. So he, it's not like they're, they're, uh, taking a, a flyer on some guy that nobody else knows about. He would have been somebody's head coach. Okay. So, um, you know, he certainly appears to have the right stuff and, and no knock on Jeff Scott, but I will say there is a difference in terms of Alex Golish. Jeff Scott came up through Clemson, stayed at Clemson the whole time and was part of the Clemson way. Uh, Alex Golish has come up from the bottom, had a lot of bad jobs and, and tough places that he's grinded through and he's worked his way up, had a lot of different varying experiences. So you got to give him that, that he has a very varied resume and he has worked himself uh, from the bottom to where he is now. So I think there is something to be said for that. And, uh, you know, again, the proof's in the pudding. We'll see in September. But, uh, you know, uh, he appears to uh, have the, the right read on what this program is and how it can get back. And, and, I, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly as a return to the humble days of hard work, identifying players, developing players. Uh, you know, I will take a developed player versus some alleged four-star that may or may not work out. Uh, let's let's see it with our own eyes. Let's judge whether this guy can play or not, and let's develop him. That I think is what USF's program was based upon. Is he going to call plays? Uh, he says, I think yes. Right now, he's he's holding out uh, proviso that if once they go through spring ball and fall workouts, if if the staff is such, he he, you know, I, I'm guessing yes, but he's he's leaving it a little out in case. Um, somebody else on the staff shows that ability. I, it doesn't appear he'll have a, an offensive coordinator in name that will be him. So I'm guessing that that leads to the logical conclusion that he'll be the playmaker. He'll be the play caller, I should say, on the field. So he'll be the, the I guess, the Spurrier-esque, you know, headset play caller, head coach guy. What do you get? What do you feel like the public sentiment is of the hire here in the Bay Area? You think there's there's optimism, or like you said, let's get to September seventh and let's see let's see what what he is. Yeah, I think that's that's mostly what it's going to be from a lot of people. I think there was um, obviously with a lot of talk and chatter out there about Deion Sanders and some others, uh, the hopes were very high for that. Um, we'll see how that works out at Colorado. I don't know uh, ultimately if that would have been the right move for USF or not. It certainly would have put USF on a huge national uh, exposure right. drive. But again, is that what we need here to get the program winning on the field? It would have given them great attention. Their offseason would have been unmatched. Uh, this is not going to be that kind of offseason here. 
but I think, uh, you know, again, as long as, as long as the bulls win and they make progress, that's what any fan would want. I think, uh, any fan that comes in contact in contact with Alex Golish, I think will come away pleased and, and feeling like uh, he's a sincere, hardworking guy. So I think, uh, I think when he goes out and meets and greets, he's going to make a favorable impression. But again, uh, and, and, and justifiably so, everyone should have a skeptical eye until the results are provided on the field. From a recruiting perspective, do you think, obviously they had the first wave of early signing day a couple of weeks ago. There'll be another wave here in February, like the traditional signing day. Just We won't talk names and specifics. Do you think his, his mentality is going to be a little bit of the transfer portal, a little bit of high school, or is he more going to be more high school? Or do you think he's looking for a quick, not say quick fix, but the more transfers you bring in, the more chance you can win quicker. What is his, what do you think, what is his vision on the, on the recruiting front goes? I think philosophically the bottom line is he, he, he sees the need to build it up and develop players from the high school ranks. And that, that will be the foundation and the transfer portal will be used to fill needs and to fill gaps. And uh, maybe they can take a flyer on somebody here and there. But for the most part, I think he understands that it's about building relationships in the Tampa Bay community and the state of Florida, first and foremost, and um, getting guys uh, that will stay hopefully for a few years and plugging in with transfer portal. USF went pretty heavy on the transfer portal last year. I think it was 21 yeah. and they were ranked high and whatever rankings that was for transfers. But honestly, there weren't many of them that were great impact players, maybe two or three. Yep. So I don't think that worked out very well at all. Um, so again, there, there's a reason why guys are transferring a lot of times and, and sometimes there's, there's problems or warts on the player. So you have to have to really uh, dig in deep and make sure that you're taking the right kind of guy. Again, when we look at USF, uh, when at its best, historically, you're talking about guys like George Selvey, Augie Sanchez, Matt Grothy, these were not five-star players. These were, for the most part, overlooked players that the coaches saw something in, and they developed them into first-team, all-conference type of players. And, you know, these are the USF legends, and I think they need to get back to that sort of thing. And there's plenty of those guys in this area. Yes. Uh, you know, I think you would probably agree, as would I, uh, that, that we all want USF to, you know, they're not going to get all the great players from this area, but they can certainly get some of them. And if you build – uh, you know, most of your team with, with players who, who thrive in Hillsborough, Pinellas, Polk, Pasco counties, I think you're going to develop a following. And, and that's, I think, the kind of thing the program needs to build upon. Um, two more things, I'll get you out of here. Uh, again, to me, one of the things that I didn't see a whole lot of Jeff Scott doing, you didn't see him on the radio, you didn't see him on TV, you didn't see him do a lot of media stuff outside of the, just the absolute within USF athletics kind of stuff. I think, and you know, you, you've been in this media forever. I just think that's a, that's a, the more that you do, especially early on in your tenure to get some sentiment in the community. I think you got to do that stuff as the head coach. I know it's not fun stuff to do as the coach to want to have to do that stuff, but you got to do that at a place like USF. Yeah, you do. You have to sell yourself. You have to sell your program. And, and I will say, I think um, there's been, you know, for the most part, his, his time, Alex Golish's time has been spent on recruiting because he hit the floor running. Sure. So he hasn't had a lot of free time, but I have noticed uh, on two or three occasions, he's gone on a little media blitz and he's been on all the morning TV shows. He's been on the radio shows. Yeah. Uh, he is a really interesting guy. He's very personable. He's, he's a football coach for sure. And if you leave him to his own devices, he's going to coach ball. 
and do that stuff. But, um, you know, he, he's an interesting guy. He's a funny guy. Uh, we had a press conference with him the other day to talk about the signing class. And um, I, I asked him, I think, a question about, hey, since the time you took the program to now, you took the job, uh, since you had your feet on the ground, anything you've learned since being here about the program that maybe you didn't realize? And he, he said, yeah, I tell you something I didn't realize. We got a Portillo's on Fowler Avenue. <laughs> I heard that. That's, that's awesome. And he went on on this Portillo's jag. And I, I tell you, I have to think, I'd be shocked at this point if he doesn't end up on a Portillo's commercial or something. Uh, but, you know, he's, <laughs> you know, it's going to be fun getting to know him because he looks like he's the kind of guy that, hey, let's go out and go out and get a, go a hot dog and chat that kind of thing. So uh, he's, he's a little bit, you know, kind of a dry sense of humor, but he, you know, he, he's got a little playful sense of humor in there. But, but again, uh, make no mistake. Uh, he knows his job. It's, it's, and, and it's primarily to, to coach this team and to, and to recruit players. And, um, but I, I, you know, you, you get a feel for somebody when you're around him a little bit. And he, he certainly appears to be a guy that I could see where people would, would respond to him and, and, and he would uh, come across in a really favorable way. So looking forward to getting to know that a little bit more. Um, Jeff Scott was, was a great guy to be around as well. Uh, but this is a little bit of a different sort of personality, a little bit more understated. But um, again, whether it's Jeff Scott, whether it's Alex Golish, let's get to September. Let's make some progress. They're at Western Kentucky on September 2nd. And uh, that'll be the first time I think we can really see if we've moved, th moved this thing forward at all. Last thing, give us give the give the USF faithful and the audience a, a update, a progress report on the stadium. I know lots of talk about the stadium. Where are we at? I, they, they, if you don't know, they just opened a brand new indoor facility on campus, a beautiful wow. indoor facility that's going to really help them and you know the things they need to be doing recruiting wise and just from operationally being able to practice and things like that with the weather. Give us an update on the stadium progress. Well, they're, it's in the design phase, and we haven't seen those uh, mock-ups yet, but, but they're being done. It, it's, it's a process. That's the next step in the process. And when those are unveiled, uh, presumably they'll present a, a, a funding plan and a, and, a, and a construction plan. Their stated goal is to open the, open the 2026 season uh, there. That would mean uh, my math would be three more seasons, and then the fourth season would be the stadium season. So, um, you know, some of the guys they're recruiting now conceivably could be in that stadium. So this is a real thing, a real selling point for recruiting. If they're getting these players, they can say, hey, you can finish your, your career in this stadium. You can help open it. So that's a pretty big selling point. I, you know, haven't heard, haven't seen it concretely, but I, I hear all kinds of whispers about some really innovative things they want to do with it, some things that, that are cutting edge that maybe haven't been seen before. So uh, that that's exciting to think about that they could have not just, you know, slap up a stadium, but this could be really something special and something, something unique and, and one of the better stadiums in the country. And I, I can just imagine what it's going to be like uh, to have an on-campus facility and have an on-campus football uh, weekend at USF. It'll make huge difference. Love Raymond James. What an awesome place Raymond James is, but yep. The problem with Raymond James is it's not on the campus, so we miss that college atmosphere. So it's going to be a huge, huge difference maker. And I think, you know, you can make the argument, boy, this should have happened before, and it probably should have, but at least it's happening now. It's finally happening, and, uh, you know, so it's got to be a major positive for the program moving forward. All right, I know you're a huge – obviously you've covered a lot, tons of tons of big sporting events over your career. What do you, who do you like in the playoff games on Saturday? Georgia, 
Ohio State, TCU, Michigan. I'm going to go with uh, Georgia and Michigan in the in the championship game. That's not really going out on a limb at all. I would I would think those would be the favorites. Uh, Georgia, I think, is just I'm going to pick Georgia till till I see otherwise. They they are the I guess the new Alabama, so to speak. They're the yeah. they're the top dog, uh, and they have everything going on. Kirby Smart is at the top of his game, and and um, he they're they're absolutely the team to beat. Um, I'll be really curious how Ohio State shows up in this game because last time out, as we saw, they didn't didn't show up very well at all against Michigan. So we'll see what kind of power they have left. I'm, I'm happy that TCU made it. Yeah. I was uh, thinking all along they were going to get uh, jobbed in the end, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they made it. And uh, but uh, but I don't I don't see them having an, quite enough firepower to overtake Michigan. So Georgia, Michigan, that's that's those are two brand name. Uh, products right there to top of the line football programs that will be a, a really a really great final one thing I would hope for is um, sometimes these games in recent years in the final four have had a tendency to kind of fall flat I don't know that right. we've had these classic games in any of them so I, I hope hope the quality of the games uh, are, are very very good uh, sometimes we get just this relentless buildup for, for not much not much uh, to, to remember. So I, I'm hoping that the final four and the championship game are, 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 are great games. And, uh, and I'm certainly looking forward to the, the day in a few years when we go to 12 and uh, that'll be, a, that'll be a ton of fun. And um, you know, for a program like USF, absolutely. There is hope to get in opportunity. this opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. If you can win your conference and that conference is the best one, well then you've got a road to it. So um and, uh, you know, you could even argue that USF in some ways may have a better road than some other teams and bigger conferences. So um, looking forward to that, looking forward to all the, the things that, um, that are ahead, not only for USF, but for college football. And hope we get it straightened out because there's craziness going on right now with the portal and with, right. uh, with NIL. And I have to think that uh, we've got to figure out some kind of way to keep this in order somehow. I don't know how that's going to work, but uh nfl has a commissioner and has a set of rules college football has neither and i think it needs one if not both of those things speaking of that i'll give you one more question nil what is alex's philosophy on that and usf's philosophy do they have a i know the the biggest a collective in place and all that stuff How, what is usf's stance on 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 all of nil stuff and making that a a asset to them they want to be as, as big a player as they possibly can be within the rules. Uh, they have the Fowler Avenue Collective, which Matt Grothy is, uh, is associated with. Okay. Certainly it's not uh, maybe as large as, <laughs> as some of the other ones, of course, but sure. uh, they, are, they are trying their best to, to make it as attractive as they possibly can. And uh, that is, that is uh, the way of life, not only for football, but for other sports at USF and other schools, is that is, that is part of the process now. Part of the evaluation, part of the recruiting, is uh, maybe in some ways the most important part of the of, of the of the equation is what what sort of NIL do you have in place? And I, and you know, other than these five star NFL bound guys that get you know who knows what, uh, I, it's not life changing money or life changing right. stuff for these other athletes. It's just something that allows them to maybe have some comfort in their life, be able to afford some things and give them some merch and some swag and some stuff, you know, like all of us would have liked as kids, you know, <laughs> grab bag full of cool stuff will, yep. will be uh, just make us pretty happy and just enough spending money. 
So um, again, if, uh, and I, you know, and I'll uh, work this into, I love the, what I see from some of these kids who are using their, their NIL to help charities and help causes. That's right. really cool. Not everybody's going to do that, but I love it. I love the ones that I've seen that are doing it, that are taking this found money and, and using some of it to turn it around for a good cause. That's a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing in my eyes. I agree with you. No, you're right. There's been some great stories around the country of guys doing stuff for other people with the money that they're getting for that. So, well, Joey Johnson, appreciate the time. A great, great analysis on USF, Alex Golish, the stadium and such. And uh, hope you have a great New Year's and uh, stay safe. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Happy New Year to everybody and, uh, and certainly to you. Appreciate it. We'll be right back with Matt Merchell from the Orlando Sentinel. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First-time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation, reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back. Florida Football Insiders Podcast. You just heard from Joey Johnston. Talking USF, now we're going to talk to Matt Merchell. Matt covers uh, UCF and Florida State for the Orlando Sentinel. You've heard Matt on the podcast several times throughout the football year. And uh, as we get through signing day and the bowl game from Florida State coming up here, no better person to talk to than Matt. So welcome back, Matt. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. How are you doing today? Things are going well. Things are going well. All right, let's talk uh, signing day for Florida State and UCF. Just get. Uh, we don't need to talk specific names and all that a whole lot. Do you think that uh, I know, you know, one of the things you heard out of Florida State was that they they, um, they were pretty active in the transfer portal. They got some guys, some some knee positions. Um, the other part you heard was not not all their guys are playing in the bowl games. None of their guys are not playing. And that's really something that, that you've heard a lot out of Coach Norvell and company. Just talk about signing day for both Florida State and UCF a little bit. And what your thoughts? Well, I think for Florida State, you know, this wasn't like an extraordinary class. I mean, if you look at the numbers and you look at rankings, which fans love to do, this wasn't a class I think everyone's going to go, oh, wow, you know, I mean, but it was a solid class for Mike Norvell. And I think what it did is it addressed some needs from the high school level. 
And as you mentioned, he jumped in the portal and he got, and once again, Mike Norvell has become the transfer portal master, you know, being able to get guys. I mean, he added up some big pieces on the offensive line. You know, I think Jeremiah Byers, uh, the transfer from UTEP is probably one of the most elite, almost step in playing ready guys. He could probably step on that right tackle spot right away and be a contributor. Probably one of the better ones they've picked up. Got a couple other guys. They landed a guy actually yesterday um, uh, in Braden Fisk, who is a, one of the top defensive ends that they've been, you know, that's out there in the transfer portal. He's going to be huge for them. Again, he gives them strength at that position. This is, seems to be a trend for Mike Norvell where he's, he's gone out the portal and grabbed, you know, every year it seems to grab a, a, an edge rusher, you know, cause he wants to kind of fill that spot. Um, so they were able to handle that as well. They got a couple of good tight ends as well. Um, uh, Yeham Bell is supposed to be a guy who's really ready to go. Um, a guy who could step in, gives Mike Norvell a different option, a different look at the tight end position. So as a whole, as a class, I think the class was strong. I think Akeem Williams is going to be really good, who was the high school, uh, uh, the, the, their top high school recruit that they signed, a uh, five-star player who I think will be a guy who could step in and, and play um, almost immediately. And they also filled some other needs there. I think same can be said for UCF. UCF's class isn't something that you would go, wow, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was amazing. They got some good solid position players. You know, they added a two or three, four stars, something that this program hasn't had in, in, in I think ever, you know, is that many four stars in a class, but this is a, this is, you know, a, a, a program that's moving on from the group of five to the power five in the big 12. So they're going to have to continue to add some of these pieces and continue to get stronger on the recruiting trail. So um, again, I think Gus Malzahn has a lot more work to do than than Mike Norvell does in his class. I mean, I think he's probably going to hit the portal a little hard as well. I think they're, they've added some pieces from other SEC schools, uh, talented wide receiver, talented offensive lineman. I think that's what Gus is going to continue to do is just keep adding these pieces. Let's not forget the portal window will close and then it'll open up again after spring. And I think that's where you're going to see maybe some more movement. But um, I think the biggest telling sign for both, mainly for Florida State in this, is as you mentioned, there weren't a lot of opt-outs. I mean, when you go to this Florida State goes to this bowl game this week, they have all their players. And it's something I'm going to write about tomorrow about this is an amazing fact that, that Mike Norville has been able to keep a team together when every other team in the country, it seems like, has players who are opting out or going to the transfer portal and leaving the program. This is going to be probably the best lineup um, you're going to see bowl-wise when you talk about from roster from top to bottom because those guys are all coming back. Yeah, the one in the one big loss, I know, you know, Mikey Keene, the quarterback at UCF, did he not? I, I believe he. Yeah, he transferred. He's, he, he, he left um, and he's going to Fresno State to play him. I think Mikey's decision was based kind of on, you know, he was the starter last year, filled in for Dylan Gabriel. Um, a lot of people felt like he was going to be the starter this year. Yeah. Uh, but then, George, you know, the John Rice Plumley comes in for the transfer right. portal from and uh, from Old Miss and Gus really kind of embrace that you know i think he really kind of wanted the, the that john rice fit kind of what they were trying to do offensively so mikey decided to leave so i think there's going to be some interest at that quarterback spot they've got some uh timmy mcclain is a transfer they brought in right past season who had to sit out from usf he's a very talented player i think he can help them out and tommy Castellanos, who is the backup right now for for Plumley, he's an up-and-coming you know uh player who's been on the roster they have a lot of uh, enthusiasm for him and so i think you know, Gus is kind of looking around thinking, okay, fine, we just got to add pieces to kind of get some depth at some positions. Yeah, and give, and give um, you know, obviously the, 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 the culmination of the year that US, UCF loses in the uh, championship game to Tulane. You know, the, the, I think it was a you know, good game. Both, both they, they beat Tulane a month or so back prior to the championship game, and then they lose to him the second time around. I think, I think, success, I think from all indications, very successful season in Orlando. Everybody's pretty happy. 
Somewhat. I mean, I, I think people felt like this was a team that could win the, the, the AAC this year. It felt like they, I know they got to the championship game and lost, but there were a lot of people who felt like this was a team that could, that could get to 10, 11 wins. You know, they felt like they had enough talent there as well. So to, to, to have some of the losses they had were difficult. Um, I think, you know, obviously the Louisville game, they were up at halftime, right? They, they gave that game away in the second half. Um, you know, you mentioned the loss in the championship game. Obviously there was a lot there. Um, and they faced some challenges with injuries. I mean, John Rice Plumley was hurt, had a hamstring injury, um, really kind of limited in that in that championship game. So there were just opportunities that fans think they could have done a little bit better. But again, you know, now you're making the move to the Big 12. Everyone's just happy to, to kind of to put the season behind them and see what's going to happen next year. So let's, let's wrap up with Florida State in the bowl game. I know Florida State's going to be super excited. They think they've t- kind of turned the corner here, you know, nine and three, nine and three finish, you know, a lot of, lot of excitement coming out of Tallahassee. I think this will be one of the few bowl teams in the country that will have no lack of motivation. They will be very excited to play. You get in some of these bowl games, you're not sure what the motivation level is for some of these teams. I think by the indication of everybody staying and not opting out, I think that's a great sign. I think you're going to have no problem having a very motivated Florida State team to play Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. We, we spoke to the – they had media day yesterday for the Cheez-It Bowl, and a lot of the Florida State players were there, and they talked a lot about – you know, they want to get that 10th win. The 10th win to them is important. They've seen the Florida State brand returning to where it needs to be in the national landscape. And people are talking about Florida State again. It's in the national, it's talking about in the national rankings. Um, and all these players said, listen, we understand how important this is. And we, and, and I think the thing that kind of helps them a lot on this process too, is that Jordan Travis is committed to coming back next year. I yeah. already said that. Tatum Bethune's coming back. You know, Micah Pittman, Trey Benson, all these solid players Normally at this time of year, these guys are maybe on the fence. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, they all came back. They all came back and announced this early. And they're trying to convince Jared Verse and Jamie Robinson to come back because they're saying, hey, man, you come back, imagine what we could be like. And so there is so much positivity surrounding yeah. this program right now. They feel like this going in this game, man, we've got so much to go for. And they're going to play, I'm going to guarantee, it's probably going to be a sellout. They're really close to it. Like, I think they got less than 1,500 tickets left. It's going to be a sellout. It's going to be a very, very pro Florida State crowd at this in the stadium. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. They understand exactly what's going on. They want to kind of continue to push, you know, what they're trying to do. And next year, they realize there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look at Florida State and maybe actually put them in some preseason rankings when we get down to it. Oh, yeah. And, and the other interesting nugget here is you got Dylan Gabriel, the former UCF quarterback, coming back to town, and he's now the quarterback for Oklahoma. Yeah, it was interesting. We spoke to Dylan yesterday for a while. Um, it was kind of a, a, a surreal moment for me because – I covered Dylan and Mackenzie Milton, the, the former Florida, uh, the former UCF quarterback, was there as well. He was actually friends with Dylan, and they were both there, and they kind of were talking for a bit. And it's kind of eerie to look back and see like these two UCF guys who were still there. But Dylan's, you know, Dylan talked about his his kind of journey from where he left UCF. You know, he went in the transfer portal, so it was a very difficult decision. Um, you know, but he felt like it was best to move on. Uh, you know, he got to Oklahoma. It wasn't a great year. I mean, they're six and six. You know, they've had some struggles. Obviously, um, they're going into this game trying to maybe, you know, come off of some positivity, getting a win maybe against a, a top 15 ranked team. Yep. Um, you know, they, they won't have some of the key players who guys who entered the portal. We talked about on the flip side for Florida State. They've got some guys who entered the portal and are left and guys who opted out. So it's going to be kind of a, a hodgepodge roster, I think, for Oklahoma. So, you know, Dylan wants to kind of showcase and, and, and you know, hey, I'm back, back in Orlando. I want to showcase what we are able to do. And he's got a decision on his own. I mean, listen, afterwards – He's got to decide whether or not he wants to try to go for the NFL or if he wants to come back for another season in Oklahoma. And I talked to Jeff Levy, their um, offensive coordinator, who was a former UCF uh, quarterbacks coach. And he said, you know, Nielsen, Dylan wants to focus on this game and doesn't want to worry about, 
that decision, though they have had conversations about it. So it's going to be interesting. So Oklahoma wants to finish strong. They would love to do it against a great team. Yeah, I saw some social media pictures. You like the hot dogs over there. They were they had a good media day <laughs> spread. <laughs> yes, they did. They actually had some really good some some good media day spread. What's really interesting was um, side note is that most of the Oklahoma beat writers weren't there at the event because of the weather, the travel delays that have kind of hampered oh. the country. Um, they weren't even there. So it was literally um, maybe about a handful of us from local media, uh, Florida State media as well. They're kind of doing the interviews. So uh, it was interesting, but it's a, it was a good opportunity to kind of catch up with everybody. And, and like I said, we talked to Jared Verse, we talked to Jamie Robinson about their decisions, maybe to possibly come back. Jared said, both of them said their moms have been very crucial in this decision. They've really kind of stepped forward and almost acted like managers for them. And have taken on the responsibility of letting them focus on football and worried about kind of creating their, you know, getting everything set up. In fact, Jared Verse said his mom has created a war room in their house where <laughs> she's got a wall pinned up with stuff and pros and cons and things like that. So she's really handling it. And Jared said, honestly, it's been it's been a blessing for me because I can focus on football and enjoying this week of bowl preparation. Who do you like in the who do you like in the semifinal playoff games? Oh, um, I'm going to say it's going to be Georgia. It's probably going to be Georgia, Michigan getting into getting into the national championship. I think Georgia's got a, a stronger defense. I think Ohio State's got a chip on the shoulder. Would love to come into this game and, and kind of pull the upset. But Georgia's played really well most of the season. Uh, TCU's had a great run, and you know, but I, I think Michigan's again a team that's been there before. I don't think people understand when you haven't been in these kind of situations how difficult it can be and challenging for a coach and a team to kind of put all that aside while you're focusing on what you're going to do. And um, so I, I, I like this idea of Georgia and Michigan going to the national title game. All right, Matt, tell everybody where they can find all your great bowl coverage and all the great work you do with the Orlando Sentinel. Yeah, they can go to orlandosentinel.com or you can follow me on Twitter at OSMattRochelle and got all sorts of uh, coverage for this week from bowls and transfer portals and all sorts of NIL deals. So uh, never seems to end, does it? <laughs> It does not. It'll, and like I said, you'll get a little break here in a little bit, but but uh, not for another couple of weeks for sure. Well, Matt, appreciate the time, man. Great. Keep up the great work covering uh, all things Orlando sports and Florida State athletics. Really appreciate the time. That's the end of our podcast for the week. Appreciate you finding us on the Florida Football Insiders podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Again, we talked to Coach Jim Levitt. We talked to Joey Johnston and now Matt Merchell. Try to give you a good uh, recruiting update as well as bowl updates here as we get to the semifinals. And uh, find us on Twitter at JPO Sports. Appreciate you finding us, and we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at JPO Sports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.